FDRD listeners, if you guys didn't listen to last episode, you guys wouldn't have heard about our new segment that we're starting called Extravagant Experiences. It's where you guys send us emails at firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. Again, that's firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. You guys send us emails of your craziest stories, your craziest experiences. It could have happened to you, a friend, a family member. Just make sure it's okay with that friend or family member before you tell it. Don't make it too, too personal. Like if it's, if it's weird and you guys know if it's weird, don't send it to us or you can still send it to us. We just won't really go over it. Um, We're going to try to get every single email read on the podcast again if it's appropriate we're going to read it and matt and i are going to rate your experience on a scale of one to ten and we're going to go to the tenths decimal place to make it easier to tell which stories are better which stories are not as good so there are going to be numbers like 7.4 8.5 things like that and so the winner at the end of the fdrd season or at the end of three months depending on how many we get if we do get a lot of them, then it's going to obviously be more frequent. We're going to choose a winner. We're going to keep a running track record of who has the best story, who has the highest rated story between Matt and I. And we are going to have that person on the show as a guest and just chop it up with them because I think that, I think that would be pretty cool. Again, this is a chance for our listeners to get engaged with the show and just have a little fun with, with FDRD podcast because right now there's not much to talk about. So I, I want to hear you guys' stories. Just have at it. Again, that's firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. Send your stories in and we will get to rating them very, very soon. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's get right into it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're you two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Saturday, July 8th. We missed our episode last week because I uh, spent more time at my friend's lake house than I thought I would, Matt. So I'm, I'm sure you're really glad that I did that and that I was having yeah. fun. Instead yeah, of, of course. As always, as always. Yeah. Yep, as always. Well, it, it, it still is technically that same week. We just didn't record it during the week. So we did a podcast last week. Technically, it's just the end of the week this week because, yes, as everybody knows, Hayden just has fun pretty much all the time. That's what it seems like to to me, at least. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's I'm going into my senior year of college and I'd I'd like to enjoy my summer. I also am working, um, but we are kind of on like a little hiatus right now. A couple week hiatus, but I'm getting back to work uh, this coming week. So that's going to it's going to be good. I'm going to get that money rolling back in. But anyway, that's besides the point Uh, today. We've got. A lot of things on tap, actually, we've 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 kind of got more than I expected, but a lot of actually like half of this episode is going to be dedicated to stuff that has already happened or is, has already kind of been in, in the sports news world for a while. But we're going to talk about it today and give our opinions on it because we like to do this kind of stuff. It's it's honestly like the two topics, the PGA topic and then the, the college football or college sports topic that we have today, first and second. These topics are stuff that we're actually pretty passionate about and and it kind of connects to our the at least the college football topic it connects more to our NCAA doomsday series thing as, as a whole if you guys haven't listened to that go back to season 2 episodes 61 through 64 if you want to learn have 4 hours of content flowing through your ears um of Matt and I talking about just straight up NCAA uh madness just not not march madness but just you know everything that's going on and and kind of the the possibility of dissolution 
of the NCAA as a whole. But today it's going to be more about ACC, but we'll, we'll get into that later on. So we've got, like I said, PGA, college football, and we've got a little bit of NBA. There's been some trades that have happened since we last recorded. And then we've got our, we got a new segment, uh, serving up looks segment. It's We're going to explain it once it comes time, but it's going to be a really fun segment. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. It's meant to be more of a funny kind of thing, laid back kind of thing. So um, yeah, so so we're excited to start that today. And then our rundown segment at the end where we kind of just go over the latest news and sports, give our quick reactions on it, and that'll round out the episode. So with that being said, I, I think, well, not I think, we were actually supposed to record this episode last night, but Matt Matt actually was having fun last night. He saw Insidious, the new Insidious movie yeah. with, with our dad, which, you know, I guess that's probably a more wholesome reason than going to your friend's lake house for you know exactly. four days yes but um but yeah matt how how is that it honestly it wasn't that good um now it, it's the fifth movie in the series of of all of these insidious movies the first one came out in like 2010 so it's been over 10 years of of these movies kind of coming out every couple of years and and you know there's kind of been a continuous storyline throughout them so it it and this is the last one so it tied everything together quite well right and i would say as as a final movie it's it's actually did a good job unlike a lot of movies that have sequels especially horror movies you never really see a sequel of a horror movie have like a you know a, a, a you know kind of bring everything full circle and actually finish the storyline that's what this movie did however it kind of felt like nothing really happened the whole time there there were like some scary parts but not not a lot uh especially not a lot of, not as many as compared to other movies in the series so it kind of felt like they were like all right you know we could, we could probably grab we could probably get one more we could squeeze one more movie out of this uh out of this idea here um and, and but like i said it did bring everything together because in the first movie it's you know i mean if you've seen it you'll know but like the, right the kid and the father both get possessed and whatever and then the father tries to kill the family and all this crap and then it's like oh well we can't have our family live like this so they basically suppress all the memories of this stupid stuff going on and then years later in this movie they actually remember all the stuff that they had suppressed back then and they had to remember it in order to actually you know get rid of all the stuff and then they came together as a family again it was a, it was a happy ending to a horror movie which is usually not the case um but again it's it's a fifth movie in the series so you'd hope that eventually you know they, these people get a little bit of a break so yeah so I, I enjoyed it um i was talking to a couple other of my friends who who saw it too um they agreed it was uh one of my friends was like um actually my wife's cousin went to it too with his with with her husband and he put on his b-reel he said insidious more like midsidious and i was like that's a probably perfect way to describe it because yeah it was it was good and it was i'm glad i went to see it but it's also like it yeah, i don't know there, there it, not much happened um outside of just kind of bringing the the whole the original storyline back together the other movies are a lot better the first and second one if you are gonna if you're contemplating seeing this movie definitely see the first two first and then expect going into this one that you're gonna know the the, the closure of it um and, and that the first two are going to be way better. Like they're just way, like the second one is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. I love that one. Um, and, and this one just kind of brought everything together. So it is what it is, but I, I'm glad I went to see it. And and yeah, going to a movie on a Friday night with my dad, when otherwise I could be at a lake house partying Hayden is something that I chose to do and not you. Well, I'm glad the movie was good, Matt. I, I'm also glad that I didn't go to see it because I don't really like horror movies. Cause I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat in that, yep. in that sense. I did actually, I saw a horror movie in theaters with my friends this past semester, I believe it was. And um, it was, it was that movie smile and it was, it was actually pretty scary, but the ending absolutely sucked. Like it was really good up until the last 
probably half hour and then it just got really weird and that's that's part of the reason why i don't like horror movies too is like the storyline is almost never good i mean i matt is, has talked about the insidious movies being some of his favorite movies ever so obviously those like the storyline in those sounds really good but i feel like 90 percent of horror movies just have a terrible story and have no plot and they just try to scare you so I don't know. It's, it's it's like eating spicy food when it's not even good. You know, like you eat spicy food, you, you're in pain. And if it's not good, then you're just eating something that hurts. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on to finally get into sports here. I've got my hot cup of Joe next to me. So here we go into PGA. Similar to what Matt predicted a couple months ago ish, the PGA and live tours announced that they will merge along with the DP world tour to create one super league in golf. Now, there was lots of noise and misreporting when this when the story first kind of broke out. So let's lay the groundwork of the facts here and then dive into what this means for golf fans as well as the golfers themselves. So I'm going to let Matt take over here and kind of just explain the backstory because he's good at that. Yeah. So obviously we we, we kind of knew something was going to happen. And I forget exactly what episode we talked about it in, but it was I think it was um, I think it was it was after the Masters uh, because that was the first tournament where since all this live stuff had happened, all of the PGA golfers were playing alongside or playing in the same tournament as the live golfers, right? Because, and, and again, just, I'm just setting the scene here. The PGA tour is separate from the majors, the major, I guess it's better to say the majors are separate from the PGA tour. So the masters, the U S open, the PGA championship and the, and the open championship, all four of those majors, they have their own committees. They have their own people who work for them and they have their own invitation cycle and qualifiers and everything that goes along with, who plays in the tournament is up to the major itself and the, and the people who represent that major. Uh, whereas the PGA tour, they have golf events every week, but, and for as long as we knew it until live came around, all of the golfers on the PGA tour also played in those majors. Now, obviously, right there up until live came along, there was only really, there was really only one other golf tour in the world and it's called the dp world tour i don't i don't remember what it stands for i think it's, it's just sponsored by some some oil company or whatever but it's basically the asian europe and asia um league right so you know the players who you know kind of are, are from the rest of the world are, play in the dp world tour and they go all over so that you know they'll go to you know the middle east and and they play in asia and japan and and um you know, in, in other places in Europe. And, you know, I mean, France has a lot of good golf courses and stuff too. So they're kind of playing all over the Eurasia area and the PGA tour is essentially, you know, only in America. Now, realistically, the way it works is that the DP world tour ended up kind of becoming like a G league where golfers who weren't as good or good enough to earn their PGA tour card would go overseas and play in the DP world tour. And then, you know, the people who, who played really well in the DP world tour were able to earn their PGA tour card. Brooks Kepka is actually a famous example of this. He wasn't that good when he first started and he actually had to go to the, he played on the DP world tour for, I think for three or four years. And he won a bunch of tournaments over there and then came to the U S and actually got his PGA tour card. But it wasn't until he was like, 28 29 I mean a lot of these guys you know we talk about Will Zalatoris and and you know a lot of these guys and Sam Bennett and and Cameron Young these guys who are really good now there are they're they're only like 22 23 years old I mean they're basically my age or sometimes even younger and and so a guy like Bruce Koepka that didn't really happen for him so he had to grind for you know the first eight years of his golf career before he even made to the PGA Tour and then now he's obviously you know one of the best golfers ever in terms of uh, how many majors he has so that's kind of what the landscape was like before Liv came along and then Liv came along and you know, if, if you know kind of generally what happened, I don't really feel like I need to explain, you know, obviously the purpose of live was 
the rules were different. You know, they played on teams. They were allowed to wear shorts. Um, they played 54 holes instead of 72. Uh, they used a shotgun start instead of a, you know, a staggered start. So there were, there were different rules, but again, it, it was essentially just, and we talked about it a lot on the podcast too, it was essentially, you know, this, this sponsored golf league, well, a golf league that was sponsored by the Saudi public investment fund. And that was kind of the big, you know, it became a geopolitical thing to where, you know, these golfers who are joining the live tour, you know, are they doing it for the money? And then, you know, where is that money coming from or what other things is that money being used to do? And, and again, it was, just, it was all controversial, but again, it's like nothing really came of that. You know, I mean, I mean, most of the, most of the better golfers on the PGA tour left to go and play for live because, and, and this is another thing we said, and it, it's like, if you have the opportunity to make generational wealth beyond what, I mean, you know, these, a lot of these golfers, if you're a really good golfer, you're already like Dustin Johnson's a good example. Like, you know, he's made more money than he ever thought he ever would in his entire life um, just playing on the PGA tour. And then he makes literally 10 times that, you know, on the live tour. So for a guy like him, it's like, okay, you, you, you know, did you really need to go over that much money or, or, you know, something like that? But, you know, a guy like Jason Kokrak, right? He won a couple tournaments on the PGA Tour. And so, he, you know, maybe he's made a million dollars in his career. And sure, you know, for the most of us, making a million dollars in your career is basically, you know, that that would be the dream, right? But, you know, for for kind of the opportunity to, you know, if a million dollars is kind of your, your ultimate goal in the PJ tour, well, just based on, I mean, you're a professional athlete at the end of the day. So your, your goal is always going to be, you know, to make more than just a million dollars. And he was offered, right. You know, 20 times that to play on, uh, on the live tour. So a lot of these guys went over and played. Um, and, and again, that was kind of the controversy is like, okay, you're, you're going to play on the live tour, but a lot of these guys were basically like their, their arguments at least were, we can grow the game of golf worldwide. Right. And that was the whole that was the incentive behind the live tour, too, it was like, hey, we can grow the game of, of, of golf worldwide. And 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 this was a, a conversation that we had that me and Hayden had on the podcast, in addition to uh, the World Cup this year in Qatar, which was essentially it's a it's a concept called sports washing, which which to me was actually new when Hayden brought it up. I hadn't actually heard of it before, but now you've probably heard of it, you know, I mean, in, in, in everything because it's happening all over the world now. And so that was kind of the main thing is like the, 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 the whole Saudi and public investment fund thing is, is sports watching for the purpose of having a golf league that can, you know, basically make them seem like the best, um, you know, league in the world and, and, and not think of them as, you know, the, the, the controversial geopolitical environment that it is. Um, and I still haven't even gotten to what happened, but basically um, the, the, right. The, at, at this point, the PGA tour is, is still going on uh, the live tour then kind of you know kind of came up right beside it there's only like there's like a fraction of the live tour events too they only play like eight events in a year where the pga tour plays basically every week of the year i think it's like 30 38 or 39 or something times and then the live tour was playing like 12 so uh, you played a lot less golf in the live tour and you made a heck of a lot more money so again the argument's there but essentially what was happening was the, the game was splitting up rather than coming together, right? I mean, if, if the whole goal of the Live Tour was to make a, you know, a premier golf league, well, okay, sure. But there were still so many people who were opposed to this, especially golfers who were still on the PGA Tour. Rory McIlroy was kind of the king of this, right? He, he stood up for everyone and was like, this is wrong. We can't go to the Live Tour. We need to, you know, preserve the PGA Tour. But then it's like on a, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and you're watching Rory McIlroy at the Travelers Championship and he's and he's going up against, you know, Kramer Hickok. Like you'd rather see Rory McIlroy be playing Brooks Kapka, right? But no, because Brooks Captain Justin Johnson, Cam Smith, they're all on the live tour. So that's kind of the, the what this ended up being was it was almost it was splitting the game up more than it was bringing it together. So essentially, 
and I'm, again, there's a lot of legal stuff involved and I'm not going to be able to really say all that because I'm not, you know, much to your surprise, Hayden, I actually don't have a law degree. Uh, but essentially what happened was the PGA Tour is is, is considered a nonprofit, okay, it's, which again, there's a lot of ways that nonprofits can make money and, and they have sponsors for all these events and, and again, everything. And, and I would, I again, I'd have to look at the finances to be able to understand like all of, you know, kind of what, what works in here. Not unlike what the NFL used to be, right? So these bigger organizations used to be nonprofits and then actually had to basically had to become for-profit businesses because they were making so much money. There were thoughts that the PGA Tour was making a lot more money than they were letting on. And as a result, spending money on things that a nonprofit is not allowed to spend money on, like all this stuff, right? Lift Tour got a hold of this and they were like, hey, uh, we want to be the best golf, you know, golf league in the world. And you guys seem to have be having a lot of problems over there in terms of your finance and what's going on and you know how you should be res- registered with the SEC and so essentially the lift war was threatening the PGA with a bunch of with, you know with a bunch of lawsuits basically being like we're going to defund your organization well and the PGA tour was like well hey you know that's all well and good but it's not like your money is that clean either right and so you kind of have these butting heads of these two organizations who aren't necessarily well However, they get their money and spend their money in both directions uh, were were not of the, you know, not of the cleanest methods, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. And so realistically, the best option was to just merge. Right. And, and that's basically what happened. So and again, that's a very, very abbreviated version. If you're actually interested in this thing, go read. Go read. I mean, there's plenty of articles out there. Like we said, there's a lot of misreporting at the beginning just because people didn't know what was happening, but they wanted to get the stories out there. So but now there's been you know, there's at least been talks of it of, of like exactly you know what happened you can you can read you know articles and they'll actually be factual um this time it was just at the beginning because because at first everybody just thought that the saudi public investment fund was like oh well we had the live tour and now we're just going to buy the pga tour and uh you know that that's how we're going to you know create a dictatorship on golf and it's like that's that's not that's not what happened it was that it was the fact that both leagues essentially had dirt on each other and what's a better solution than instead of completely, you know, disintegrating both leagues, let's just join them together and be a big happy family. Now, the difference here, or at least the, the way the structure is going to work, is that the PG the, the structure of the PGA Tour is going to maintain. Okay, so the rules that I talked about, right, having a four day tournament, having seventy two holes, um, you know, doing doing kind of the staggered start, not playing like a team version of golf, all these things, the, all the rules that live changed, they're going to go back, they're going to revert to, or I guess continue with what the PGA has set forth the master or the, you know, right. The masters, the, all the majors, they're going to be all, you know, kind of remain the same. And, um, and essentially the Saudi public investment fund is just going to fund the, the league, the organization, whatever they end up making it. Right. So it's, it's kind of a combination of, you know, we're sticking with the old ways that golf, like how the game is played, but kind of where the game is played and where the money's coming from that the game is played. That's where kind of the, the live tour uh, originators come into play here. Um, and, and you may hear me saying Saudi public investment fund. It's it again, it's a, it's a kind of a confusing term. It, it I it, look it up. It's basically just, and, and some, a lot of people are, are abbreviating it as PIF. Um, so if you hear that said or, or written anywhere, that's kind of what they're referring to. Uh, They've kind of gotten their hands on a lot of different sports in the world. Um, I, I think they're investing in, in one of the F1 teams. I believe it's, I think it's Aston Martin. It might be, might be one of the other teams. Um, they're actually, they're, they're kind of going to get big into tennis pretty soon. Like, don't be surprised if the ATP tour uh, becomes some sort of, you know, live-ish uh, something tour uh, for tennis 
And so you kind of see this happening throughout the world. And, and again, whether you agree with it or not, it, it is what it is. And, and that's, it's called the Saudi Public Investment Fund and it's abbreviated as, as, uh, as PIF. So the PIF is going to fund the PGA Tour. The golf is going to, still going to be the same. The golfers themselves are all going to be, you know, kind of part of this big super league. And that, and that's really, you know, that's kind of just what it is, right? They're going to be playing all over the world instead of just only playing in the U.S. So it's, it's. I think it's great. I mean, it was so funny that the, the exact, the, like the minute that it happened, I was at work and I took a screenshot of the notification. I sent it to Hayden. I was like, I am so excited for this. This is awesome. Um, it, just because of all the possibilities I can think of, of like how golf has just kind of gone downhill ever since. I mean, I started really getting into it during COVID because it was one of the only sports that was being played. And then, you know, I was really into it because that was, I mean, back then that was only the PGA tour and I loved it. And, and, but then, you know, with the whole onset of the live thing, and then, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of died down from public, uh, you know, public interest. But I think this is really going to engender a lot of what we had before. And even more, because as much as, you know, you want to, you want to say live is, is, you know, as big as the big bad wolf here, this definitely will gain, it, it will gain and maintain the interest in golf worldwide. I think it will definitely do that at least in terms of, you know, gaining more fans and whatever. So um, yeah, so that's the backstory on, on kind of what happened here after Hayden, I'm going to ask Hayden a question after he goes, I'm going to kind of describe where we're at now because after the whole, you know, they were fighting in the legal battles and stuff. There actually is a lot more behind the scenes that we didn't know at first that is now going to, take a, a really long time and you, you may have heard of it too. I'm going to go over it after, but what I'm going to ask Hayden here is what do you think, or you can even spitball, like, how do you think these events should be formatted? What do you think, you know, kind of this super league should, should be, should all the players in the entire world be able to play in every tournament? Should there be some, some sort of like relegation thing like that, you know, like the APL does or, or something like that. What, what do you think the impact is going to be or where they should go with this idea? Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably going to start by saying that, Essentially, like what what's going to happen, I feel like with this is there's not going to be there's basically not going to be enough space for every golfer to play every tournament, because it's like if you're going to connect both the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour. And then obviously, you know, the guys that went to that went to live were, I think, both from the DP and the PGA. So like you had some guys go to live from both of those tours. So if you're going to combine everybody or if you're going to combine the DP World Tour as well, along with, you know, PGA and now live which was just a combination of the two yeah it's it's not going to work that way because you can't really I, I maybe they can and maybe they can like have i don't know they, maybe they can have like two different tournaments a weekend like in two different places and then kind of combine those in, in some shape some fashion but yeah it's it's not going to work in, in one tournament every weekend and just have everybody play because i mean that's that's almost impossible like you you can't you just physically can't have that many golfers on a golf course i feel like at one time and so it's not yeah that that won't work but i think one way that they're gonna kind of try to do it is i yeah i think they're gonna try to split up tournaments each each weekend or however many weekends there is in in a in a season in this new tour like in this in this new combined tour they're that they're doing i think what they're going to do is like they're going to split it up into two tournaments per you know per session or whatever per playing session and then they're probably going to have payouts based on based on those because the other thing is and and we didn't even really get far into this at all and i, I don't know if matt was planning on talking about this but i'll kind of just introduce the topic and this is kind of the this is the topic that everybody was kind of looking towards as soon as this news came out because it was it was something that 
Rory McIlroy was kind of trying to speak out on without like really saying it, but it, it's the money aspect of it. Like the guys that went over to live, like Matt said, are making 10 times as much as, as they would have been making in the, Ta- just know. put it this way. Tiger Woods was all, was offered a billion dollars to play on the live tour, like yeah. legitimately a billion dollars that yeah. like, you can't even, I, I don't even know how to like, it's, it leaves me speechless basically, but obviously he just, he, you know, he, he, he refused, but Phil Mickelson went and he got paid like 500 million. So yeah, I mean, it was insane money. Yeah, exactly. And then that's not, that's not, that's just to go play. That's not even including their right. winnings, which if you don't really know how the winnings worked on, on live, this is kind of important to what, to, I guess, to my, to my point here. Um, so that the, there was individual earnings because it was kind of like a team, a team kind of thing. So it was, it was like four golfers in a team, I think. And then you had individual rankings as well. It's, it's almost like F1 where like you have a team and you, your team places in whatever place, based on how well you guys do as a collective. And then you have, you had your individual placement where you kind of, it was kind of like, you know, what a normal PGA tour event would be like um, where where you kind of just go like every man for themselves or whatever like that. So you had individual earnings and team earnings. And so a lot of these guys that, that made a lot of money, it was, it was really based on the individual earnings. So like Dustin Johnson, for example, throughout this live tour season, he, placed first in, in earnings and he placed first by a mile. I think it was like, he placed first by like $22 million. Basically he had, I think $43 million total made. And then the, the, the next highest earner on the live tour this year was Taylor Gooch who made $25 million. So it's like, wow. yeah, I, I guess that, that's $18 million, but that's, that's a, that's a huge difference. And then from there, uh, a third was Braden, Brandon Grace who made $24 million. And then fourth was, Peter Uline, I don't Uline. even know, if, huh? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, Uline. Um, he made twenty million dollars. So like the the gap is kind of smaller as you get down in the ranks. And also like this is this is also part of my point too. A lot of these guys like Peter Uline, I've never heard of him in my life. And Brandon Grace, I think I've heard of him like maybe once. Taylor Gooch, yeah, fine. Uh, guy that placed ninth was Pat Perez. Uh, the guy that placed tenth was Carlos Ortiz. These are all guys that that were the top earners and in, in the live tour. And like, you've never really heard of them. So it's good for them that they've made this much money on the live tour. And obviously, you know, they're, they're set for life now uh, because of the, t- because of playing one year in the live tour, but on the same token, you've got the PGA tour players who, you know, work their butts off and play golf every single weekend. Like Matt said, they play three times as many tournaments as, um, as the guys over and live. And, you know, half of them aren't even making like, $200,000. So because they're not, they're not winning. And that's what you have to do in order to make money on the PGA tours, you have to win. So it's just like, there's this discrepancy between the amount of money that the live tour players made and the PGA tour players made. And that's what the PGA tour players are mad about. Like, I think Rory McIlroy ended up coming out and, and saying it basically outright. He was just like, there needs to be some kind of compensation for us because we chose to stay, we chose to stay loyal to the PGA tour, which is where we started, which is where we, where we got our fame and got at least, you know, some of our money so far, but these guys that have, that have gone over to live, they've just made incredible amounts of money for basically doing nothing, playing less golf than us, getting less notoriety. Like nobody even watched live tour anyway. So it was, it's not like they were even really like playing in front of an audience in the first place. And then, yeah, they're making $10 million while, you know, while guys like more Roy McElroy are making like $2 million. So it, yeah, it just, there, there's a huge money aspect to it that I, that's probably the biggest thing um, that they're going to, that they're also going to have to kind of meddle in with how do we get all of these guys into one tour? Because 
if they make two tour, if they make like two sessions or two, I guess, yeah, two, two different tournaments in two different places per weekend, then they can kind of have, they, they have more payout spots. I, I, I feel like, like that's probably, you know, a better way to do it. Um, then you got to kind of like spread out the talent across both, across both tournaments if you do that. So there's a lot of things that'll, that'll go into that, but just to answer Matt's question, uh, that's probably how I feel like that they would do it is, is kind of split it up into different tournaments um, every weekend and just have like, and I think that would be pretty cool too. Like you'd have people playing in different places each weekend. So you could like, you know, you could turn off one location on TV and then turn on the other location and see how those guys are doing. And then, right. You have more payout spots. You have just more opportunity for guys to, to make money, uh, to make the big bucks that supposedly the, the live or what was the live tour, whatever that fund is that Matt, Matt just mentioned. Um, you, you have more funds from that going into the multiple tournaments each weekend. That's, that's kind of where I would, um, where I would see this going, but yeah, that's, that's my answer. I, I didn't really expect Mac to, to, I mean, to ask that, but I'm glad that he did because I didn't even really think about that. And it kind of ties into what I was going to say originally, which was, which was just kind of like, you know, how, how the PGA tour players are going to be compensated for all of the money that they lost out on by staying loyal to the PGA tour. Yeah, that is that is a big thing. And two, just just so you in case you're, you know, kind of kind of more of a casual golf fan and, and you're not aware the way that and, and I think you probably could have gotten it the way that Hayden explained it. But right. If you're if you play golf on the PGA Tour, you're a professional golfer. You know, that that's like it's you're insanely good at this game. You're one of the best in the world at it. You only make money if you do well in tournaments. And Hayden did say that, but I wanted to make this clear. These guys are not signed to contracts with the league. OK, or teams, right, or, or whatever it is. In every other professional sport, you're, you sign a contract with a team that basically says, you know, you're going to play for this team for this amount of time, and we will compensate you this amount of money, right? And so regardless of whether or not that player does well, you know, it, it's, it's the onus is on the team for them either making a really good signing or really bad signing, right? So it's different in golf where they're, they're, at each tournament, there is a purse. They call it a purse. Um, probably because, you know, there's money in purses in, I don't know, whatever. They call it a purse, right? And so there's a total sum of money that is given out to the players. Now, the player the, per, the player who comes in first place is given like 60% of that purse. And it's spread out, you know, across the rest of, of uh, you know, of the, of the players who finish. But if like, if you're finishing outside the top, like even if you make the cut and you're finishing outside like the top 30, you're not even making, I mean, you're making like, you know, less than what I would make, like on a regular, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just working a regular finance job. And like a lot of these guys, you know, unless they're kind of really competing, you know, into the weekend on these, on these golf tournaments, they're not getting paid a lot of money uh, to be there. And, and on top of that, you're on the hook for all of your travel, your stay, your expenses for going to these tournaments in the first place. Right. So if you do play every single week, you have to buy your flights to these different places, right? If there's one tournament in California and the next week it's in Florida, you're buying your flight to Florida, you're buying your stay wherever that is. Right. And a lot of these guys stay together and, you know, they'll have houses and places and whatever, but, um, but, but right. So that's kind of the, the biggest thing with this is, is, and Hayden's correct. Is that like, not only did the PGA Tour players miss out on this, you know, the 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 insane like skyrocketing, you know, margin of of money that that the live players were making, but the live players also had contracts. So Hayden was talking about, you know, Dustin Johnson, he made 43,000 or 43 million dollars 
just by playing and doing well in the golf tournaments themselves, he also has a separate contract with the live tour. That's paying him like $200 million a year just to be, just to play, just to show up at the events. Right. So if he hadn't, if he had like completely sucked every say, if he'd played golf like me for the entire year on the live tour, he would have still made $200 million. Right. But he, he made all this extra money because he did well in the tournaments. So it's like, your your bonus is is playing well on top of already having the contract we're on the pga tour you didn't get any of that right you had to play well in order to make this money and on top of that the biggest payout for the pga tour is the players championship at uh, tpc sawgrass every year i think the winner makes three and a half million dollars maybe you know, it's, i think it's more now maybe four or five but like that's i mean that's a lifetime's worth of like work and and, and it's, it's just like everything that goes into that is like that's the ultimate dream is to win that biggest purse on the pga tour and it's like dustin johnson did that in like a live tour event that nobody even watched and, and nobody cared about but like he just he did he won all that money so hayden's exactly right the, the disparity between players are making is the biggest deal here the good thing is as i described in the first part of this because the pif the saudi public investment fund is funding the pga tour now or whatever they end up calling it. I, I haven't even decided on a name for it um, because, because the PIF is behind uh, the, the, the golf tour in general and funding all of it. They're going to be signing these players to contracts. So the players actually are the biggest winners in this. They all make a heck of a lot more money than they were on the PGA tour. The live, the current live players probably make a little bit less, but I mean, again, you know, they were making ungodly money that they never even thought was possible in the first place. Right. So like Hayden mentioned a couple of those names who like, they've never even won. I mean, Carlos Ortiz has won one PGA tour event and it, it was like at TPC Boston, like a couple of years ago. Um, and, and right. That was, that was going to be the crown jewel of his entire year or of his entire life that the earnings from that, you know, from that tournament, whereas now, right. He's made $20 million, you know, or, or close to it uh, just, just by showing up to these live events. So it's, it's a, it's a great disparity there. Um, and, and I think I think it's definitely going to be overall a lot better for golfers because there's going to be structure, there's going to be there's going to be contracts, there's going to be, you know, obviously incentive bonuses for winning tournaments on top of already, you know, kind of having a contract and being locked into, you know, a certain a certain amount of time that you're going to play for that. The only thing is, and, and you know, Hayden was kind of think trying to think through, I kind of did put him on the spot there. He was trying to kind of think through it, uh, you know, when I asked him it, but I think what they're going to have to do is keep it similar to what the PGA tour does now in which there's like, I think like 150 players or 200 players or something like that, that have a PGA tour card. Like that's like the big thing is if you get the PGA tour card, you're basically a member of the league. Now, again, that doesn't guarantee you any money, but that guarantees you a chance to play in every PGA tour event there, that there is. Right. And if you don't play well enough or you don't, you know, and there's the FedEx cup and everything. And if you don't gain enough points or whatever, you're at risk of losing your PGA tour card. And that means that you basically either go down to the corn fairy tour, which is the, 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 the D league of golf, or you go over to the DP world tour, which we described before. So, and you may never make it back, right. That's kind of the thing there. It's like, if, if you just continue to not do well and you just, your game just kind of suffered for a while, you, you're at risk of never really getting back to the PGA tour. So I think it's going to be similar to that. The only thing is for a lot of these golfers all, currently on the DP world tour and the corn Ferry tour who are good golfers, but not good enough to make it to, well, really like even be competing with the Victor Perez's of the world. Right. So we, we were talking about Victor Perez being a bad golfer. He's a good golfer, good enough to play in this kind of major league of golf, but there's plenty of players in the world who aren't even as good as him, who are going to have to still be kind of part of this event or, or this organization or this league or whatever they end up doing with it. 
the interesting part is going to be is going it's going to be interesting to see what live or whatever they end up calling it what what this golf league does with these players who aren't on kind of the major league side now i'm sure there's going to be some sort of relegation methods you know and 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 features of this tour where you know if you're not playing well enough you're going to be relegated to kind of the you know the 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 lesser uh or the less good tour <laughs> that's what they should call it and they should call it the less good yes, tour. less good um and, and and right and as he mentioned i think it'd be cool too to see kind of them be playing events you know side by side and and even like the less good tour quote unquote would be kind of i think followed more in depthly because you know maybe right you know I don't know. Phil Mickelson at one point is like, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of too old for this, but I'm still going to play on this, you know, this smaller tour. Uh, but he's still going to be better than a lot of the guys who are on that smaller tour because they're not professional golfers. And so he'll be in the mix in these smaller tours. So I do think it can become a really good event for the fans, too. And that's kind of my last point is that this is great for people who love golf. And it's even great for people who don't like golf, but like are kind of like it's an interesting ish sport or it's like I just you know it, it's always on like a Saturday and Sundays I never have time to watch it you know but but I, I think that there's there's enough there to where if you're interested enough to get into it you can definitely do that there's also the Netflix series which you have if you haven't watched it it's really good you get a lot of insight into these guys who you know are actual people they're not just you, you know guys who just swing clubs for a living I mean they are they do swing clubs for a living but they're actual people you know uh on the inside too um that can that's going to get a lot more popular. You're going to learn about people from overseas who you never even heard of before, who are these really interesting people, right? That was the whole thing, you know, with what uh, with what Drive to Survive did for Formula One and why it's so popular in America now is because they made it into a drama. There, you you got to know these people. There's 20 drivers in F1, and that's it. And you know them all because you've seen all their stories and you learn who they are, and you've seen them in the countrysides of Austria, you know, riding their donkeys or whatever. And like that's interesting to us because we don't do that here. And then you see them on the screen. And you're like, wow, Valtteri Botas is in, you know, 19th place in his, in his, in his Alfa Romeo. He's not having a good, you know, a good, a good time. And they showed his radio thing on the screen. They're like, oh, you know, you got a blown engine or something. Um, and he's like, oh, you know, and that, that's interesting because you know who he is and you can, you know, kind of relate to what he's going through um, and see that, oh, you know, he didn't have a good week this week. I think that could also be an interesting thing that comes out of this is that, is that you get to know a lot of the golfers better because they kind of integrate the Netflix show, or at least you're kind of, it's, it's still there on a weekly basis. Um, it's going to gain a lot more fans, I think worldwide too, because the concept of the DP world tour and the live tour right now is that they're kind of all, they're already going overseas. The PIF is in the Middle East, right? So you kind of have your your funding is from you know halfway across the world in the first place. So um, it, I think it's going to be great. I think it's it's going to be great for the players. It's going to be great for the fans. The only thing that's going on right now is essentially, and of course, you know, the government, um, you know, has to kind of stick their noses in everything. Basically, they got word that they knew that the that the that the live tour was like, oh, the PGA tour isn't you know isn't doing their finances correctly. So they lost like the. the the department of justice launched an investigation into the PGA tour. Basically they're going to look into their finances and stuff. So we have to wait till that's all over with um, before they even get the talk started on how they're going to merge the tours and whatever. So it's probably going to be like a year before we even get some, like some sort of conclusion on all of what happened and then what's going to be happening from here on out. But there's, a, this is at least good news for golfers worldwide, as well as golf fans, I think. Um, and I'm excited for when it happens, it might take a, a little while for that to happen. But then again, too, at this point in the calendar, I mean, we only have one major left, uh, and then and then the, and then the FedEx Cup is at the end of August, and then pretty much until pretty much until next January. That's when, like, I mean, there's there's tournaments starting in 
in September. Well, that's, there's the Ryder Cup too in September this year. So we got it's actually kind of a good a good lineup. You have the the Open Championship uh, at I think it's um, I forget where it's at this year. Um, not Saint Saint George last year. I don't know. Uh, and then the FedEx Cup is in August, and then the Ryder Cup in September, and then basically October starts kind of the next PGA Tour season, quote unquote. But it's all these horrible events that nobody plays in, so they're not really. And football's going at that time anyway, so we're not going to talk about golf. Um, so yeah, I think by the next time that we're actually talking about golf a lot on this podcast. It'll be we'll have we'll have something right to talk about in terms of kind of what the, the whole landscape is going to look like, but it is very interesting how all of this came together. And I, again, my instant reaction was like, "This is awesome, right?" Because we finally get to see all the good best golfers playing together on the same tour again. They get a lot more money than they were going to get before too. Uh, so yeah, I think it's all around good for everyone. It'll just take a while for anything to actually be implemented. But I mean, hey, that's it's like that with everything, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, well. With that being said, I mean, we spent, I think we spent half an hour on PGA. So that's, that's really good there. Yeah. We've got, um, we can do free agency probably next episode and then maybe just do, maybe just do like the, um, the segment and then the rundown just kind of, and then we can just do free agency next time. Okay. So you still want to do college football, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what I got. Sweet. All right. Well, there you go. We're going to move into college football now. So a few weeks ago, we heard rumblings that, Bigger schools in the ACC specifically wanted to leave the conference. So, again, we're going to be talking about the ACC today. I know that I said to go listen to our NCAA Doomsday episodes that we did last summer, right around this time, actually. Um, it's crazy that that was a year back. Doesn't, doesn't feel like that. But, yeah, so the ACC recently has, has been kind of in the works of either dissolving or teams leaving the ACC and then kind of wanting to join other conferences, which is kind of what's been happening with the Pac-12 and the and the Big 12 with USC and UCLA going to the Big 10 and then from the Pac-12 and then uh and then Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC from the Big 12. Obviously those those are set in stone. So like that's that's completely done and that that's happening. But the ACC now is kind of seeing that and seeing all this unfold and they're kind of watching from the outside like hey we what's going to happen to us? Like can we get some get in on some of this? So yeah, so they've had meetings during the last couple of weeks that the ACC has, and now seven total schools out of the fourteen have joined these discussions of potentially leaving the ACC or forming a new conference or joining a new conference or whatever. Um, and so that leaves seven other teams that aren't really in these discussions or haven't really kind of put themselves out there as as a team that wants to do this. Because again, if if you if you say that you want to do this, like or if you do join in these discussions of potentially leaving the ACC, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of, it, it puts a little bit of a, you know, of a different perspective on your school and on, on your, I guess, like your school's outlook of sports in general, because this isn't only, I, I feel like, I mean, this isn't really only football that we're talking about. Like it, it, it is other sports. And the reason that I say this is because a couple of the teams that are a couple of the, the schools that are in these discussions to leave the ACC are, Yours truly, uh, you know, Matt's alma mater and the the school that I go to, uh, UVA, and then also Virginia Tech, who each over the past few years have just like their football teams have been so bad. And we I mean, we can't even compete in the ACC. Ain't no way we're going to c- c- compete in the, you know, the Big Ten or the SEC or anything like that, or even like the Big 12. Like, I don't think that we yeah, there's there's just no way. So. So my kind of inkling here is like, okay, well, maybe they're doing this across all sports or at least most sports because UVA 
if you don't know, if you haven't really followed, you know, college sports in general over the past few years, but UVA is basically good at every sport except for football. Like we're, I mean, we're good at basketball. We make the tournament basically every year. We also usually lose and like, we're always an upset pick in the first round to lose because we're usually a higher seed and we, and we, you know, lose to teams. We've lost to a 13 seed two out of the past three years, um, but we still make the tournament. We're still good during the regular season. And then we, uh, we almost got to the lacrosse championship we got to the semifinals in lacrosse and men's lacrosse our women's soccer team is really good and then our tennis team won nationals our women's swimming team won nationals so like uva has a a lot of really good sports and so i feel like that's kind of a a reason why they're joining these discussions to leave is because like okay i think they're probably saying i think that we need to you know probably join another conference but again you kind of look at you look at the acc and in other sports like well, basketball, I mean, the ACC used to dominate basketball, but now it's kind of the SEC. It's, it's moving on from the ACC because Duke and UNC just aren't really the, the dominant teams that they used to be or not as dominant as, as they used to be. Um, and then like in lacrosse, I'm pretty sure the ACC just wipes in soccer. The ACC is, is usually the best conference. So like that's kind of where I'm confused with all this. And maybe Matt can, it can answer some of this. I know he's going to kind of like go into the backstory of what's happened so far, but I'm kind of just laying – I'm laying some questions on like, you know, things that you should be thinking of when we start talking about this, because it, it isn't just football that we're talking about. I mean, football is the, is the biggest money earner and it's the biggest revenue sport in, in general, like in, in all of college sports now. Um, and so that's where most of the discussions are happening. But I, I do wonder if there are other sports that are coming into this. And like I said, we kind of named this topic as a college football topic, but I really do think that it's more, it's more than just college football because Right. They're like, I don't know why UVA and Virginia Tech would be joining in on these discussions to leave the ACC and try to go somewhere else to earn more money when when they're going like, you know, four and eight across the football season. Like that's <laughs> there's no point in leaving the ACC if you can't even compete in the ACC. So unless you want to go down. But I mean, who would want to do that? So, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I wanted to lay out first. Matt can Matt can definitely give you more of the backstory of just like the the logistics of the conferences themselves and kind of what's been happening uh, in, in the past. I kind of alluded to it with the, with the teams that have been moving and the conference realignment that's been happening already. That's kind of already been in the works, but Matt, tell us more about the ACC itself. Um, if you know, if, if you know about that and then tell us how, I guess, kind of like uh, give us, give, give us a little preview of how it might turn out. So if, if please go listen to the NCAA doomsday series that Hayden mentioned at the beginning yes. of the podcast, if you don't do it, just do it. But um, the cliff notes from four hours worth of talking and a lot more hours of research that we ended up coming up with was, it's all about the money, obviously, but the money, especially when it comes to college sports, is created by the conferences signing deals with the TV networks to broadcast their games. Okay, that's, that's the, if, if, you're, if you take nothing else from this podcast, if you just, if you skip through the entire golf section of this podcast, that's fine. If there's anything that you take away from this entire situation and there's anything that you need to know about college sports going forward, it's this. The schools, well, no, the schools don't do anything. The conferences sign TV deals with TV networks in order for the TV networks to broadcast the games of the conferences, like the schools that play in those conferences. Okay, that's that is that is the biggest picture. That is like the 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 most clear view, narrow thing I can give you here as to what is the genesis behind all of this in general. Okay. Now what happened off of that, okay, is the fact that essentially the ACC, I don't even know when, probably, I think 
I think probably more five, six years ago, something like that, signed a contract with ESPN so that ESPN would be able to broadcast the ACC games for, I think it was, and I actually, I, I got the numbers on this and I, again, we were supposed to do this con this, this topic like over a month ago. So I, <laughs> I don't have the article up in front of me, but essentially signed a contract with, and, and I might even just use smaller numbers just so it, it makes sense to, to, to people. They signed a con the ACC con signed a contract with ESPN for, I think it was 18 years or something like close to 20 years or whatever. Hayden's got it. It's um so it's until 2036. So I knew that. I just didn't know when they started it. Yeah. So it's, it's until, yeah. Well, they started it, I guess, however many years ago, but it's, it lasts until 2036. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I knew that. I just didn't know if you had like when they started or, or how much it was or whatever. Um, either way, it was a long time ago and they signed a deal through 2036. Now, when this originally came out, it was the biggest deal. It was, oh my God, this is amazing for, for the ACC. Their, you know, their football programs are going to, are going to, are going to skyrocket because essentially what happens whenever you sign a new contract with a, with a, you know, with a TV broadcaster, you're agreeing to, it's a contract. So you're agreeing to a certain amount, guaranteed amount of money that the, that the, that the network is going to pay to the conference per year. And that money is going to be distributed equally among all the schools in the conferences. Okay. So that's what happened with this whole ESPN and ACC thing. And we did see that happen, right? Clemson went in there. They got to four straight college football playoffs. They won two, two championships. Yet Florida state coming kind of off the back end of that, you know, that Jameis Winston 2013 championship. So they got it. It kind of, it, when we see it, we saw, you know, we saw Pitt wake forest. They've, they've done well in those kind of years since, but well, in the years that I think kind of the fur the TV, the, the TV deal was first, kind of presented since then it's kind of fallen off a little bit and the biggest reason for that is because the sec and the big 10 the two biggest conferences and you know best overall teams it, you know or at least comprised of the best overall teams in the country they both signed new tv deals as well now hey guess what the differences are and i think i don't know if they had done this before like by the time we've done this but let's just, okay so the big 10 signed their conference deal with uh cbs it was actually CBS. so yeah that's another thing that's going to be crazy about this upcoming college football season. That music, that CBS, yeah. that's going to be for Big Ten games now, not SEC games. It's going to be weird, man. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, that's weird. What do you, how long do you think the Big Ten's contract was and how much money do you think that they signed a contract for per year? Per year. Okay. So, or to, just do total, total. That way we can, we can kind of make it easy going through the per year basis. Like total amount of money? Yeah. Across, across like all years. So not per year, but across yes. all years, like total. The total amount of years. They signed this in 2022. Well, it was the end of 2022 going into 2023. Until what year and how much money total is the is is CBS? And I think it was some CBS, um, some Fox, because they do also do the Fox. But it was essentially like they signed their TV deal with the broadcasters and the broadcasters are paying them in, in total. How much money is the Big Ten going to make over or, yeah, over this amount of Okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do 80 million per school for 20 years and i think in the big 10 there's like uh how many there's going to be 16 well, after usc and ucla join okay so 16 so 16 times uh 80 million or yeah 16 times 80 million is how much i don't i don't even know wait hold on i don't know either hold on. I'm, we I'm should gonna, get a calculator yeah wait here <laughs> i want to get this right so i probably won't but still okay so 16 times 80 million would be one billion two hundred eighty million uh per year that's going to the big ten and then that times twenty would be two billion no wait twenty five billion six hundred thousand that's what I'm gonna guess twenty five billion six hundred thousand across twenty years total. Okay. 
you are almost exactly correct on the money that is being dispersed per school over mm-hmm. the court yeah per, per school per year the 75 80 million that that's basically yeah. that's basically correct however on the length of time you are absolutely off guess how long this contract lasts 2030 eight years you know what that means all the big 10 schools so the acc schools again this was six years ago before college football even had the college well it was like right after the college football playoff but it wasn't that popular yet it it, there's been so much more going into it now with nil and everything too it's it's grown immensely even since the acc signed their tv deal that was for that was till 2036 the big 10 and and again we need to if you can look it up hayden how much money the acc schools made off of that deal per year that'd be really great because it'll help us kind of understand i think i think it's around 20 million per year 20 million per year right but which is uh, I mean, 60 million less basically than Big Ten schools. And guess what? The Big Ten schools are going to be signing another contract before the ACC even signs their contract, their next contract that comes due in 2036. So, th- yeah. so this is this is the whole point, okay? Like if you're listening right now, I hope this, this makes sense to you. The Big Ten schools are currently this year making $60 million more than every single Big Ten school, all right? Illinois. Like Northwestern, the even the, not Ohio, yes, Ohio State, Michigan, okay, fine. But even these small Minnesota, like these smaller schools that you wouldn't even really think of, they're making $80 million a year to disperse to their football program and and all their other sports and whatever. I mean, this is this is total, right? So this is basketball, this is everything too. $80 million a year for all the big 10, every single big 10 school versus $20 million a year, dollars a year for all the ACC schools. So already on a per year basis from 2022 to 2030, eight years. Each Big Ten school is making $60 million more every year. 66 times eight, 48 million. That's $48 million. No, sorry. Four, wait, hold on. $480 million over the course of, of eight years. So now I hope you understand this is why this happened. And, yeah. and I think that's at first you were like, why would UVA want to go? It, 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 at the end of the day, like UVA and Virginia Tech have never, I think it's been 20 years since any of them have been, I mean, Tech was the only one who's actually even good. It's been 20 years since they were good. Michael Vick was the last time they were good. And that was, you know, what, 2002? It's not necessarily about the wins. It's more about the money. And again, that's probably what I could have for this entire thing. It's only about the money. But I hope that helps quantify the differences here and why these ACC schools, and I can read them off to you here too. I put them in there. It's it's Florida State, Clemson, Miami, UNC, NC State, UVA, and Virginia Tech. So essentially you would think, I mean, the biggest brands, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, UNC, you know, those are kind of the biggest brands of the ACC. Um, And then NC State, UVA, and Virginia Tech are, are kind of, you know, the, the, I guess the mid-tier brands, especially because we know when it comes to basketball, you know, UVA is really good. Um, you know, teams like, you know, kind of wake, the Wake Forest and Pitt and, and Louisville, like, you know, they're all kind of meh in, in, in both sports. So it's not necessarily, you know, they're, they're kind of, that's kind of where they're like, Hey, we'll, we'll still take the money. Right. Um, but, but that's, that's the argument. And, and, and for a lot of these schools, you know, like I mentioned, the Northwesterns of the world, you know, the Illinois, I mean, Illinois actually kind of, I think is going to be pretty, pretty good now, but but these smaller Indiana, right, in the Big Ten, like a lot of these schools, Rutgers, Maryland, like who aren't, you know, the powerhouses of the Big Ten, they know that they're not going to win the conference. Okay. Like you go into every single year of football knowing that you're not going to be able to beat Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, right? All three of them, much less, right? To even earn a spot in the college football playoff. So 
the 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 kind of the branding here and if you listen to there's a really good college football podcast it's called the cover three college football, football podcast um it's done by done by cbs sports but they do a really good job i listen to it you know they, they do like three episodes a week even during the off season um and, and one of the guys on there who's like kind of the he's like the kind of the, the college football guru his phrase and it's the perfect description is you take the check and you take the losses and for a lot of these schools that's really kind of the the the, the ceiling of what you can do because any university will want $60 million a year more than they're already making, right? You would want $60 million a year than they're already yeah. making. It doesn't matter. Like, and, and that's, again, we could translate this into a human life. It's like, if you're being paid $6 million or six times more than, you know, what you're currently making at your job, um, you know, to do a really bad job that you like, wouldn't like, or, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be like, you know, shoveling poop or whatever, but like, a, you know, a bad job, I don't know. That's just what came to mind, nice. but like a bad job, but you're being paid six times more, like you would do that, right? For at least a certain amount of time because the money's going to be worth it. So for a lot of these schools, it's the same concept where we know we're not going to win an ACC championship anyway, we're a big 10 championship, whatever it may be. But all of that extra money can go towards all of the other sports. And that goes back to what Hayden was saying at first, where a lot of these schools, especially now with NIL and how much money that the schools are going to start to have to, you know, kind of divert to paying the players, a lot of that money is going to be dried up before it's able to get to these other sports. So the lacrosse and, and, and tennis and, you know, all the, the stuff that Hayden was saying, you know, rowing is big in the, in the Pacific Northwest and all that. Like those are sports that are funded by the football and basketball programs of these major power five universities. And those are sports that if that money dries up or it has to be used elsewhere, or you're getting an unfair deal in the case of the ACC versus, you know, the big 10, and the SEC, those sports may not exist anymore, or the only way that they do exist is that the, you know, the students themselves basically pay for the sport to exist. And I mean, if we know anything about college, you know, you're already paying more than you can afford to even be there in the first place. Right. So that's the big idea here is the fact that like, it's, it's not just about the football team and how many wins they can get on a per year basis. If they move to the big 10, it's the fact that you can earn $60 million, $480 million more than you would be right now in order to put towards other events, you know, build, build out a locker. UVA is doing a big, you know, renovation on their, you know, on their, on their whole kind of football facility and the locker room and everything like that drives recruits. Right. So it's, it, that's, I think the whole point of this is the fact that like the deal that the ACC made at first seemed awesome because it was kind of that first time that like back then, again, it what college football isn't what it was or what isn't, it wasn't what it is today. And so people thought it was a genius idea. They're like, oh my God, they locked into this contract for 20 years. That means like they're always going to be able to be broadcasted on TV. And now you look back and like just in those five years, you know, college football has changed so much and has gotten so much bigger that like, right, the Big Ten. And here's the crazy part, dude, is the fact that from 2030 to 2036, the Big Ten's probably going to be making, I mean, it's it's $60 million a year right now. I guarantee you it's probably going to double. So in those six years, it's going to be $120 million times six, which I, I don't even, I think that's $700 million. So it like, it's only going to increase exponentially until the ACC is able to do something about this. And that's why these schools want to leave. Now there's a the big, again, this is like, I actually should get a law degree because I'm talking about all this legal stuff. The legal talk in terms of the conferences and being the schools being essentially what's happening is the schools are six are seceding from the conferences in order to secede from the conference. You either have to break the grant of rights that the, you know, that the conference has in terms of, you know, their alignment and the, and the, and the, and the structure that they've, you know, kind of aligned when they first, you know, started and got everything together. You either break the grant of rights or enough teams 
kind of group together to agree to secede and then the conference can't exist anymore. So we're kind of in the middle of that right now. The grant of rights to break the grant of rights, I think it's like I think it's like a total of of something like I don't know. I think it's around like like 70 something million dollars like per school is going to take like each of these schools is going to have to give up that amount of money to be able to leave the conference in the first place. And if you think about it, <laughs> hey, you give up 70 million dollars and then you move to the Big 10 and you're already making 60 million dollars a year or 60 million dollars more than you were before. So it's like you, you know, over the long run like I think it just makes sense. And I think that's kind of what is is kind of fizzling up here and, and why these schools are considering it because you kind of have to and, and that's the other option right is that Hayden as Hayden mentioned you have to have eight teams to be able to leave the conference. Only seven have kind of basically come forward and said we are definitely going to do this or we're you know we're all in on doing this. The other, you know, however many other teams, um, you know, whatever, I guess if they decide that they're going to or whatever, then maybe they do. I don't know. But but basically, that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, Hayden, I'm going to let you talk. I don't really have necessarily something for you, but just, I guess, kind of give your thoughts or, or whatever. I, I do have some kind of something to say on the back end of this. that will kind of wrap up the topic, though. OK. And yeah, that I was going to say one more thing. And it kind of goes along with the wins that I was talking about. Like Matt said, it all has to do with money. And this, the reason that this is happening is because of money. Like that is, that is the one sole source of information that you guys need to know about this whole thing. But the other thing is, and I, I read a, a Florida state article uh, the other day and I actually have it pulled up right now. And it's, it's only like, it comes from the Florida state website and it's, I guess some dude that works at Florida state that is, is just kind of going over how, how Florida state sees this because Florida state is, is one of those teams that is kind of at the top of the ACC. It's kind of like Clemson, Florida State. Um, you know, I, I get you could argue UNC is now kind of part of that top tier, that kind of like A tier part of the ACC. Because no part of the ACC, let me tell you, is S tier. I'm just gonna put say that right now. You, you can't even give the ACC an S tier because there there is no such thing. Um, but anyway, because the ACC just sucks at football, at least. So yeah, so I read this Florida State article, and and one of the other parts that not a lot of people are thinking about that relate to, you know, how good your team is and how good your team performs, no matter what the, the TV deal is, everybody, every single team in the conference, and this is how the TV, the TV deals work in the conferences. Like we said, you, you guys heard, we didn't talk about any kind of discrepancy between Michigan and Ohio state and the big 10 making more money than the Illinois or the, you know, the Maryland's or the, Minnesota's of the world in the Big Ten because they don't make more money off of these TV deals. It's the same amount of money for every team in that conference. And so that's that's the other thing that kind of has to be figured out. And we, I think we, this is something that we went over in our NCAA Doomsday series, which again, we keep on coming back to that, but I don't really want to just repeat our, ourselves on here and let you guys forget about those episodes because those episodes were, they, they were awesome. So go, go listen to those if you want to learn more about it. But Essentially, what needs to happen after this, and again, this is like even farther out, I think, than what we're at right now, is there needs to be some kind of system where the teams that are better, the teams that are broadcasted more, the teams that are broadcasted, you know, at primetime times that that get more viewership, essentially, that are meant to get more viewership by being broadcasted at primetime, those schools need to make more than the schools that don't really bring in as much revenue or don't bring in as much as much viewership because right it's not fair to teams like ohio state and michigan that they're making the same amount of money as illinois because not as many people are watching illinois and nobody nobody wants to watch illinois at you know at 12 o'clock on a, on a saturday i mean unless i guess unless you're kind of me and matt who 
love any part of college football, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the other idea of this whole thing. And I read this Florida state article and this, I think it's the president of, it's like, I don't know the, like the commissioner president of Florida state football. I don't even know what it is, but some dude that is really high up at, at Florida state um, basically said that like, right now they're only getting 7% of the total earnings of the ACC because right. There's 14 teams in the ACC 14 times seven is around hundred percent of the money. Right. So they're only getting an, they're getting an equal portion as all the other teams in the ACC of the contract money from the TV deal, but they're bringing in about 15% just right around that number, about 15%, which is double than that 7%. Um, but they're bringing in about 15% of viewership, right. For, for ACC sports in general. And so, his argument, this guy from Florida State, his argument is basically like, okay, we're we should be making double the amount that we're making right now based on the amount of viewership that we bring in. But again, that's that it hasn't even really been like proposed yet. I mean, I, I, obviously people are thinking about it. If I'm thinking about it, obviously, you know, the the commissioner of the ACC and and every other conference in college sports is thinking about that or has thought about it. But that's not even really like in the works. That's something that we mentioned last year. At around this time last year in our NCAA doomsday series episodes. And right. That's not even like we, we need to figure out this conference realignment thing first and then move on to that and say, okay, well now that we have, you know, a, a, a even bigger discrepancy in the competition level between schools in these conferences with all of these new schools that have moved into these conferences, you know, within the past year or so um, where we go now with, with how we pay out the bigger schools, more money or the better schools, more money and then the lesser schools, you know, kind of the UVA and Virginia techs of the world. How do we pay them less than the bigger schools that are bringing in more viewership that again, that hasn't even really been mentioned, but that's my, that's the thing that I was going to kind of wrap this topic up with is like, that's the next thing we go. That, that's, that's the next step we take from here, but it hasn't even like, we can't even go there without figuring out what's at hand right now, which is right. The, the teams basically want to leave the or leave the ACC or dissolve it or whatever. So that's yeah, that's that's not my way of ending it. I don't necessarily think I agree with you on that. I I understand where the guy is coming from, and it does make sense. If you're bringing in double the viewership than what you're being paid for, th- then yes, you're being underpaid. I mean, it's right if you're you know working at a job and you do more than the person said nice, you get get paid the same amount, you should be paid more. I get that. The problem is with college sports it's already so top heavy that if you start paying the better schools more money or the money that they based on their viewership or whatever they bring in, it's like, it's only going to create less and less parity. And like, I don't know, that's the one thing for me in college sport. Now March madness is different with basketball because it's impossible to win, you know, March, the tournament is just so random. So like that, I think kind of, and that's, that's why they did it right. That's it solves itself. It's the best event ever. I will never, I will say it every chance I get March madness is the best. It's just overall. Um, But, but for college football and especially the way that they're going. Okay. You know, right. If we keep expanding the playoff and, and and it gets to where it'll eventually be a March madness type of thing. Okay. Maybe. Right. But, but, the it, it there's there's so much difference between football and basketball to where if you start paying the college football teams more it's only going to create less and less parity you're only going to have Alabama and Georgia you know winning every year and and, and there's going to be more once the better teams get more money or be, you know based on how much they're you know the viewership or whatever it's like it's going to be kind of this group of teams and it's going to be outside of just Alabama and Georgia right you're going to have USC and you know and and Texas and Oklahoma and and a lot of these teams that are really popular right now 
they're going to all become kind of the best of the best, but it's going to be such it's you're only going to increase the margin from where these teams are. And essentially, if you think about it for the 12 team playoff, that's coming up pretty soon. I I don't know. I'm just thinking about, you know, right. Coastal Carolina has another crazy year again. And they're, you know, they're ranked number 10 going into the, and they lost, you know, one game on a, on a hail Mary to Troy in the regular season. They're going in, you know, to the college ball playoff, you know, ranked number 10, they won their, you know, they won their conference in the Sun Belt. You know, they had a nail biter against South Alabama. They won the last second, right. They have no chance. Okay. They already kind of have no chance, but at least something might happen to where, you know, Georgia might slip slip up or, or whoever they play. Right. But if you only, if you, if you start kind of, you know, disparaging the amount of money that these teams make or, or, you know, kind of, you know, coming at them from a viewership basis or whatever, it's, it's only, I think it makes the sport worse. I think it makes for less parity. And, and yeah. I mean, that, that's what makes the professional leagues awesome, right? That's why the NFL is, is, is always king is because there is a salary cap. There is, you know, there's no, I mean, there's more, there's prize money essentially for winning the Super Bowl, but it's not more that you can spend to get better players because, you know, that would just, you know, I don't know. So that's the one problem with that argument. I understand it. Like if I was Florida State's person, whoever wrote that article, I would be saying the same thing, right? Because that would be my job at that point. But in terms of fairness of the sport, I just, you can't do that because it, it just, it ruins the integrity of the game, which is why all these teams want to move, right? Because UVA is like sitting here like, yeah, we know we're never going to win, you know, more than eight games in the big 10, but right. $60 million a year right now can go a heck of a long, you know, a lot more uh, or, or longer than, you know, than, than whatever the ACC is willing to put up or, or, you know, the, the TV that they TV deal that they get. And ironically, the PAC 12 is in the exact same situation. They actually are still wait. They're like currently waiting to sign their TV deal right now. And it's been going on for, it's like every month they're, they're coming out and they're like, the TV deal is going to be in place next month. And that's been going on for like six months now. And it's like, is, is this, is this going to happen? And keep in mind, they had the PAC 12 network and nobody has access to the PAC 12 network. So like PAC 12 is kind of falling off the face of the earth. They're going to be really good this year in college football. Like, like probably four of the top six quarterbacks are in the PAC 12 this year. So it's going to be great football. But like, again, it's such a tough market. A lot of the, like besides California, there's not really that much, you know, there's not, it's not really a talent rich area. All these kids are coming, you know, coming over, you know, to the East side these games were starting at, you know, 10 and 11 o'clock Eastern time. Like nobody can watch those. Right. So the PAC 12 is kind of in a, you know, in a, in a sticky situation right now, all of this points Hayden to what was what everybody's kind of been saying forever is the fact that it's going to turn into semi-professional league essentially with the two conferences being the sec and the big 10. And it's just kind of going to be everyone else. And I don't, I don't think I can hate on that. Cause I think it'd be great for, you know, everything and you kind of just have smaller leagues and that's where the conference you know the group of five conferences are right now you just kind of continue that and and i think that's kind of what's going to happen here so um i know it sucks it's just kind of you know so much talk for just kind of an inevitable path that we're on it's going to be a fun path to get there though i mean there's so much time yeah. in between now and then and and all these new tv deals and whatever but but yeah i i do hope that kind of nothing changes in terms of the funding just because you at least want to see you know teams that never really have a chance at least be able to have a chance and that's the point of the expanded playoff the 12 team playoff going from you know from four to 12 is like a team like tcu like that that is an absolute anomaly last year we're never going to see that again in a 14 playoff format but in a 12 team playoff right if coastal carolina you know catches usc on a bad day and beats them well now they have a chance man but if if usc is making consistent like every year you know like that much more of an incremental advantage than coastal is, then then there's, there's going to be no chance eventually. So yeah, it's, it's all, it's all a big mess. Okay. We're actually going to skip our serving up looks segment because we are at around an hour 10 right now. It looks like from my clock, if I'm, if I'm estimating it right. 
which I think I am, uh, or just around that. So yeah, so we're actually just going to go into rundown because we can't really, I mean, this is a sports podcast, even though I, I would like to do the funny segment, uh, doing, doing the rundown segment is probably best because this is a sports podcast and you guys came to hear about sports. So we're going to save up serving up looks for, for next podcast, moving into our last segment of the day, which is rundown. So we've got four topics here. Usually that's kind of the, kind of the, the, typical number that we have for rundown so just i don't know that's why i don't really know why i said that but last night uh we we had the it was the first time that we saw each of the top five picks from this year's nba draft so and there, there was a lot of a lot of things that happened um matches gate I, I didn't really watch any of it really because i don't watch that much summer league and i was also i had a birthday dinner last night for one of my friends so um yeah so i wasn't able to watch any of it but i watched i did i go, i went on social media for literally two minutes and the first thing I saw was how much Wembenyama sucked but that's one game so we got to give him a break he was getting triple teamed basically the whole game so we can't really knock him for that because again yeah it's one game everybody knew to like everybody knew that if they locked him up they would be in the news for being good and so I think that's kind of kind of what those guys that that were on the um on the Hornets end I think that that's kind of what they were going for was like okay let me lock up Wembenyama and and you know, be in the news for being the best player ever to step foot on a court. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I saw. And then Matt informed me today, Matt, go ahead with what happened to the other players in the top five. Yeah. Scoot Henderson and Amen Thompson both uh, basically went out. They got hurt. I think, I think they said Scoot has a sprained ankle and Amen Thompson has a shoulder injury or something like that. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's very funny that like, <laughs> we, we spent the entire month of June basically being like, these are the, who's going to go first. And oh, and by the way, the other guy that I, the other guy that in the top five that wasn't mentioned is Brandon Miller. I think he, there was some stat where he had like, he had like four points and eight turnovers in his like stint that he was running with, with the Hornets in, the, in their, in their first, I think it was his first time we game. This was the second one they played. So yeah, it was just like, what, what are we doing, man? Like, it, it's just so funny that we hyped them up for like so much in the, in the entire month of June. And it was all about the draft and who goes second overall. And you know, who's going to be a franchise changing player. And then all of them are either hurt or bad in their first, their first game in the summer league. Like this is summer league. This is even, you know, the regular yeah. league. So. All right, moving on to the next one uh, is last month in June, Shohei Otani. We don't talk about baseball much on this podcast, and I'm pretty proud of myself. I actually am the one that wrote this one, so I'm yeah. I'm talking about baseball for once. And it's we because we, we do got to get a baseball segment on here though. Like, I guess I was kind of struggling. I was like when I was writing the topics for this week, I was like I'm kind of struggling. Like I, we we actually had the PGA and college football college football segment saved from a couple weeks ago so yeah. next week is going to be a little bit bare i think we gotta i think we gotta put one in there and do some research i i again i'm familiar with what's going on i know who's good i know who's bad um it's just the the fact that like the players individually i can't really speak on them but yeah, yeah. We, we can just go to we can give overall trajectory of where we think you know people are and we're, we're surprised about the orioles by the way second in the american league east and there's there's one player that we can't talk about it's shohei otani who right. had possibly the greatest month an MLB player could ever have. Uh, I'll just give you some stats here, or his his batting stats from June, uh, literally only the month of June. And I don't know how many, I mean, they play, what, I, th- I think they played like 20, 27 or 25 games or something like that. I think it was like 25 games across the month of June, so- something around there. Um, I may be completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what I 
or yeah, tw- yeah, no, it's 27. I'm reading it right here. I'm stupid. Anyway, he had a um, he had a three nine four batting average, which I mean, anything like if I don't really know baseball that much, but like anything, anything above three hundred is like really good. Yeah, yeah, and close to four hundred. Like, and, and like only like two players ever have finished the season with a four hundred batting average, like yeah. in the history of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he had a three nine four batting average uh, in June with forty one hits in twenty seven games. 15 home runs in 27 games, 29 RBIs in 27 games, and 27 runs scored in 27 games. So again, so he averaged more than one RBI per game. Um, he averaged about he averaged more than he averaged like 0.6 homers uh, per game last month, and basically two hits per well, not two hits. It was like it was like I don't know 1.75 hits per. Um, per game which again like if you don't really follow baseball much i don't really follow baseball much but i i even know that that's insane like over over one month and not only that but his pitching stats were off the charts too he had like a three i think it was like a 3.02 era which anything anything that's close to three era wise is really good too so and like pitchers are known for not being able to hit and this guy's sending you know sending homers 495 feet I think it was like 493 feet, which is the longest homer that anybody has hit this season in the MLB. And he's a pitcher. It's actually just nuts. So, yeah. Shohei Otani is the best player in the history of team sports. I'm just going to go out and say it. Um, yeah. I've had, I've heard other people say it on another podcast, so I kind of feel validated a little bit, or I'm kind of, I guess, I'm not copying their opinion, but I, I at least feel that that's the truth because he is simultaneously the best offensive player in the league and the best defensive player in the league. That it, that's ridiculous. I, I mean, what like Connor McDavid is the best offensive player in, in the NHL. And there's people who like our NHL in the NHL media who say that he might be the best offensive player of all time. It's like if Connor McDavid also was the best goalie of all time, like also played goalie. And, and it, it doesn't make sense. It's, a, it's like if Patrick Mahomes was like, you can't even come up Ed Reed. Maybe like there hasn't even been a singular NFL player on defense who has like, you know, I, obviously baseball is a different sport. So the pitcher is the most important, but it's like, if there was a court, if there was a pos- like a position like quarterback on the defense, it would be like, I, I, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I I don't know. And and the stats that he mentioned, like every other day, he's breaking another record. It's just insane. Yeah. And it's, and it, he's been doing this. Like it's, this is like his third year in the league. And he's, it's like every single month, we just hear another record that he broke um, because of how good he is. And so that's the thing is like, it's not just the combination. Cause that's, that's what I used to think is like, Oh, he's just like all these records. He's like the first player to ever. I mean, a lot of them did have to do with, but I'm like, Oh, he's just such a great player because like, he's, he's like good at pitching and he's also good at hitting. And we don't really have that a lot, but no, he's like, like one of the best in the league at both. That's the crazy part. It's like, it's not, there's been pitchers that have been good at both. Like Tim Lincecum is a, is a good example. He played for the giants um, in their run. They won like two out of five world series or something like that. And it, from like 2012 to 2017 or something like that. Um, and there's a guy named Tim Lincecum. He was a pitcher for the giants and he was a good hitter. Like he would hit home runs in the, you know, in the playoffs and stuff, but it was like, it's like nothing compared to the rate that Shohei is doing. And, and Tim Lincecum was, was known for doing it because he would hit like a home run every like a month. And he'd be like, wow, this, this guy's a really great pitcher, but he can, he also hits a home run sometimes. And it's like, Shohei hit 15 in one month. Like, are you yeah. joking me? So it, yeah, that's, that's the type of stuff that it's just like quite literally nobody can comprehend. Like it, 
there's a there's a guy if if you're interested in this read up there's a guy named jeff passan p-a-s-s-a-n he's like a, a super big baseball insider for espn just like google his name and you know google show hey tiny like with it um to see some of the articles that he's written like this guy has legitimately he is like he is inside baseball that's like his his entire thing has been baseball and i listened to him on a podcast the other day and he was like he was like, I almost feel bad because I can't explain how good this is. Like, he's like, I've, I've studied the game my entire life. I know everything there is to know, but it's like, he just breaks everything that like the model of everything that you could think is possible for the sport. So yeah, best player in team sports. I put the, we put the goat on the end of his name in the, in the, in the episode title here. And it's the truth. Yeah, exactly. All right. Four more players or sorry. Um, two more two more topics here, but four more players were suspended for the entire NFL season, this upcoming season for gambling violations. Matt, when do you think these guys are going to learn? Cause I don't think they ever will. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, this actually might, I'm, I'm probably going to add this as a, as a, as its own separate topic in one of our episodes, maybe in the next couple of weeks um, before we start doing like, like season previews for college football and NFL. Um, because I think it can, I, you, I've, I've heard the argument on both sides. I also went on a rant one time in one of these episodes. I don't, I don't remember when was it Aiden when I was, I don't know, talking about the integrity of the game and stuff. We can go pretty deep on this. So I, I might add this to next week's topic as like, you know, a little bit more of a deep dive on why this is bad, why the NFL is going after it. So, so large. Um, and, and they've now kind of described six, there's like six rules as to how players can gamble now. So we can go through those two and, and kind of, I guess, just kind of discuss what we think of them. But yeah, I mean, it's just, that's my thing. It's like, dude, <laughs> You're logging into a sports book and using your own name. Like you have to take a picture of your driver's license to get an account on one of these sports books. I mean, just ask your friend or your or your sibling to place a bet for you, man. And then like have yeah. them Venmo you. It's, it's like, is it that hard? Like, you know, you're going to get caught because literally it's the onus of the sports. The sports books are legally obligated to report to teams if they see an active player on their roster betting on a game. Like it's just standard. So don't do it. I, I don't understand it. But yeah, we'll, we'll go. We'll go deeper next week. Yeah, exactly. And then last rundown topic here is. Uh, the NFL mock drafts for 2024, so NFL mock drafts for next year when it comes around in April, are already flooding the sports dudes world. I've seen so many of them, um, and I, I just don't – I don't understand it. I, I wrote good, bad, or just plain stupid here. I think it's just plain stupid because, A, we still have to get – I mean, the NFL season is coming up. Like, NFL offseason, I get it, is kind of a little bit boring, but I think that NFL draft and – uh, my buddy Ishan, who I did the the mock draft with this past year, back in April. If you guys haven't listened to that, you probably don't want to listen to it now. But we actually got we actually hit on on some of the guys in the first round. Um, yeah, I like I don't want to be hearing about guys that still have a year to play in college football and guys that will drop so far in every mock draft next March when they start like really picking up again. Um, because right, it's it's bound to happen. It happens every year. There's guys that are that you're going to see on these mock drafts that aren't even in the first round, aren't, aren't even projected to go in the first two rounds by the end of the year. So it it just doesn't make any sense in my opinion. Yeah, it, like basically besides you know the the you know the 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 bona fide ones, it's like it's like what's the point? Like we know Caleb Williams is going to go first, Drake May is going to go second. Past that, Marvin Harrison's going to be the first receiver. Past that, I don't even want to hear it. Like we yeah. know those players are the best and that they're going to be drafted because it's just like they they could have come out this year and been the first overall picks, like all of them. Um, so besides those three, those three players, we have no idea what's going on. So yeah, everything besides that is, is just stupid, but there is going to be, there's going to be some tanking for Caleb Williams going on. Take the Cardinals under four and a half wins. If you know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, uh, that's going to end off the episode for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm 
I feel, I feel kind of bad that we weren't able to get to two of our topics today, NBA and serving up looks segment, which is the new segment that I kind of promised you guys would hear, but that'll be on next episode. Cause we won't like Matt said, we won't have as much to talk about. We're done with the overlay of topics or overlay of segments that we've had to save until now. Um, and so hopefully the overlay that we made today will actually make it on on next episode if we don't rant for too long about whatever we'll be talking about next episode. But um, yeah, that's, that's going to be it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed. It was kind of a long one and um, yeah, we're, we're hopefully back on the, you know, back, back on the train here, not much going on for, for good old Hayden Vozar for the rest of the summer. So first on rundown is going to be, uh, it's going to be at the top of my priority list, at least at one of the things at the top. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to try to get these, get these episodes rolling again and finish off season three pretty strong. We're at, this is episode 51 of season three. We made 64 total episodes last year in season two. So I'm hoping to get to 60, um, 60 episodes of season three. I think that, that would be a pretty good mark. We did, we had a lot of, we had a lot more slacking this year, a lot busier year this year, um, which is why we weren't able to kind of keep up with season two, but I think that 60 episodes in season three would be very sufficient. Um, and that would, yeah, that, that's going to be our goal. I'm going to set our goal for that right now. So if you're still listening to this, we love you because not many people are, are probably still listening at this point and this far in the podcast. So um, yeah, so go you and make sure you listen to our next episode because it's going to be a banger. Hope you guys have a great rest of the weekend and we will see you at some point next week. 